Good afternoon and welcome to the Dungeon Musings Podcast. My name is Kevin Madison and I'll be your friendly Dungeon Muser today. Today I want to do a quick episode uh, talking about the ongoing Starfinder campaign that I have been running and um, the, uh, let's see, some of the developments we've had in it in the last uh, couple of weeks and some of the things I'm taking away from that particular game. So this is going to be another entry in my Campaign Corner uh, series of videos videos. <laughs> Can you tell us what I, uh, my preferred format in uh, the series of podcasts? <laughs> so thanks. Let's get to the episode. Okay, so my um, at the beginning of this year, beginning of 2019, I started running a Starfinder campaign. I, I had Starfinder on the back burner as one of the games I really wanted to get to the table. Uh, for those who are unfamiliar with Starfinder, Starfinder is the science fantasy role-playing game that Paizo Publishing put out um, about maybe two years ago now, uh, maybe not that long. It feels like it's about that that long, but in any event, the um, so the game is based quite, for those who are unfamiliar, the nutshell version of this is Starfinder is essentially um, a sort of a 1.5 version of Pathfinder, of their uh, classic, um, I mean, it's 10 years old, so I guess it's classic, uh, a fantasy role-playing game that itself is based on the uh, 3.5 D&D uh, engine uh, at uh, Starfinder, I feel is, uh, they make some some changes to make it play a little more in kind of a cinematic, action-y kind of way, um, but it's got some things that, um, some elements in it too that I, I feel were derived from D&D 4th, and, and regular listeners will know that I'm, I'm a fan of uh, a lot of the things from that edition. I, I wouldn't want to run it again, but it is uh, a game I, I have great memories of, and I think there were some good design elements that were uh, introduced in uh, 4E. Particularly with respect to Starfinder, the, the two design elements I see uh, particularly prominent uh, are, for one, the way that everything is relative to the level of the player character, um, in the sense that the um, a, like a lot of the math in the game it relates to and depends on the relative um, level of your character and the bonuses that the character should then have. So it's things like uh, you know the um, the type of gear and how much damage it'll do, how much of an armor class bonus it'll give you, um, things like that. All that stuff is relative to your character's level. And uh, the other design element. Uh, that um, I found was the the way that they treat characters, player characters, separately from everyone else in the universe. In uh, Pathfinder, you pretty much, I mean, you built monsters in through a different set of rules, but uh, those monsters were built with, um, you know, uh, if they gained levels, character levels, they would be built exactly like player characters. And, and for the most part, all the there was a unified set of rules that governed kind of everything in that. That is not the case in Starfinder. Starfinder has a completely different set of rules for building um, the uh, NPC. So any anyone who is not a player character is built by a separate set of rules that were introduced in the Alien Archive. And um, it makes for creating NPCs and, uh, you know, even just improvising stuff on the fly. It's so much easier in that uh, than it is with uh, Pathfinder, and also if you're if you're actually like designing uh, custom things too, it's it's a lot easier in there, or at least a lot faster, which probably is because it's easier. So so those are the two major things that I see as different 
design elements in Starfinder Second, or in Starfinder as opposed to um, Pathfinder. But it does have a lot of the other, you know, tactical kind of crunch that comes from uh, Pathfinder. And it's interesting now that Pathfinder Second is out, seeing how different they, how they went in a different direction for certain things with Pathfinder Two. In particular, the three action economy is something that uh, in, is prominent in Pathfinder Two. That is a really 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 strong design decision it's so fun playing uh with that mechanic it's very intuitive it's very fast playing but the uh starfinder doesn't do that starfinder maintains the kind of third edition dnd 3.5 dnd pathfinder thing of you know full round actions versus standard actions versus minor actions versus move actions or swift actions i think they're called for the not minor so, uh, I mean, and that's not really fatal. The game still does play pretty quickly. It's just, it doesn't, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's not quite as, uh, as I think, as fun, to be honest, as the Pathfinder 2 system. I, I really do, having played both of them quite closely, that I do prefer that. But but anyway, um, I've been running Starfinder now on a bi-weekly basis for nine months. This is our ninth month. We just finished up, I believe, our 16th session this past weekend. And uh, it's, you know... Um, we now that I'm this far into it, notwithstanding my, my comment about how I like the the action economy in pa, in uh, Pathfinder better, holy smokes, are we having fun with uh, Starfinder? And uh, it's it's worth kind of looking back over what you know how this thing came about, um, who how I got my players for it, and then how I um, you know how the game has how I've been running the game and what I've learned from it. So um, that's kind of what I want to deal with in this episode. So. First, let's start off first with uh, how I got the part of the players. So I had selected Starfinder because it just, when I first got Starfinder, I was not a big fan, but it really intrigued me. And the reason I wasn't a big fan was because I was, I felt like I was judging it inappropriately uh, or at least unfairly. The way that I was judging it was in kind of contrast to Traveler, to Mongoose publishing second edition Traveler, which I had been running at the time. And I got it, and I'm like, well, this is not a very good sci-fi role-playing game. I, I Everything's so specific. Everything's so set in the in the setting. Which, I, in retrospect, I'm like, of course they did. What a dummy. Like, it's... Starfinder is, and I've mentioned on this podcast a couple times before, Starfinder is very much its own thing, and its own setting, in the same way that, like, uh, Dungeons & Dragons is not the influences that, that uh, you know, inspired the game. It is not a Conan role-playing game. It is not a Lord of the Rings role-playing game. It is Dungeons & Dragons. It's its own thing. In the same way, Starfinder is its own thing. Starfinder is a game that has its own unique flavor and pacing, and there are a lot of things you can recognize in the game, like, uh, it, you know, it owes some to... Um, gosh, like Warhammer 40k, it owes to Star, uh, Star Wars, uh, it owes to a degree to Star Trek, less so that that it's more of a space opera than uh, what I think uh, Star Trek is, but um, Flash Gordon to Pathfinder, to, you know, to D&D uh, to a degree, to Dune, you know, to The Expanse, to um, what do you call it, uh, Firefly, like it's got a lot of different inspirations in it, but it is very much its own thing. And it was right around the time of late 2018 that I I, I kind of started recognizing that. And that's when the uh, adventure path came out that was called Ad- uh, Against the Aeon Throne. It's the second adventure path published for Starfinder. And in that campaign, what uh, the, the broad strokes are is that you, you set up or you take up arms against the um, this uh, enemy um, race. Like it, The backstory of 
uh, or the setting, I should say, of Starfinder, the default setting, is this place called the Pact Worlds. And uh, there is an in-universe event called the Gap that happened about 300 years ago, give or take. Um, I think it's a little less than that, but it's about 300 years ago. It's about 300 years ago, something happened, and we don't know whether it was a magical uh, catastrophe or whether it was you know, some kind of technological thing or a time-space, you know, wonky thing or whatever. But what happened is basically everyone's recollection of the past disappeared. They kept other things like their, their you know, their skills, their training and stuff like that, but their memory of what happened, boom, gone. And so that, that becomes, it became this event known as the Gap. And the setting, it, it used to have the setting, the solar system that is... Uh, uh, that where the um, the Pact Worlds setting is uh, is set is uh, is basically the same one that was used in the Pathfinder default setting Golarian. Only the this the planet Golarian is actually gone in in, in its place, or perhaps you know a, a remnant from uh, the orbital state is this place called Absalon Station. So um, the um, the setting has this kind of some some interesting built-in mysteries, and then the way that the travel kind of you know rules are set up, or the the you know ass, the assumptions is with its type of travel that was introduced shortly after the gap by this tri, um, this kind of like triune. I think it's called triune is the god, but it's it's just basically like combination of three different like mechanical or like invention gods that kind of fused together, but also were separate. Catholics will be very familiar with that concept, but um, the they send out this this sort of information about this type of travel called drift travel, and uh, it's a it's a fun way. It, it allows you to, to have a very mobile campaign, but structured in a kind of gamified way. Uh, so if you're familiar with the um, the travel in Star Wars with hyperspace and whatnot, it's kind of like that, where you know there's broadly speaking, you know, three different kind of distances in the game there's within system there's the near and there's the vast and travel to each of those three kind of areas the near is kind of like near space um and then the vast is like way the hell out there you know and um travel is just set by it's a number of uh depending on how fast you're going could be days could be weeks of travel and um getting back but however getting back to absalom station where there is this thing called the Starstone that is located there, which serves as this incredibly powerful drift beacon that you use to navigate your way back to the plant, to um, uh, out to the packed worlds into Absalom Station. That's always uh, a short, like less than a week travel away. It's always very quick to get there for some, you know, reason. Um, drift travel is not magical. It is expressly technological, which means that technology is kind of the most important thing for traveling through the system and traveling beyond. Um, and, um, magic overall in Starfinder is pretty tamped down. It's not as, it's not, I mean, it's, it's still quite powerful, you know, and it's, it definitely has a, a significant presence in the game. Um, but it's not like the spells don't go to the same levels that they do in traditional D and D, you know, I think spells cap out at level six, I believe. So there's no, you know, world-altering, reality-altering spells, which has a significant, diff- you know, change or difference on the, uh, or effect, I should say, on the setting. And, uh, I, mean, I don't know, I mean, look, it's, the, the setting itself, uh, the more I, I dove into it, the more I was like, wow, this is pretty interesting. And the 
adversary that I from that second adventure path this against the Aeon throne. It's this thing called the Aslanti Star Empire. And the Aslanti, for those who are familiar with uh, Pathfinder, they're kind of like the Pathfinder default settings equivalent of Atlanteans. And they're not really presented most often as, as really, you know, good, <laughs> you know, people. So, unsurprisingly, the Aslanti uh, Star Empire is, is not really a benevolent empire either. It's kind of a racist organization run by, you know, it's a racist conquering organization run by these um, descendants of uh, humanity that, that extended out beyond the stars at some point before the gap. And they have been, like a lot of other civilizations post-gap, they're out trying to sort of re-establish uh, themselves. And then they are aggressively defensive of their regions. The Pact Worlds itself is an organization that is kind of a, uh, was a, a creation of necessity as the Pact Worlds became what, like the different worlds that make up the system that is the Pact Worlds, they, they came under attack. You know, there was, they were not necessarily um, allied with each other, but then they became, they came under attack by this um, extra uh, kind of like interstellar organization called the Vescarium. And the Vescarium are these, Vesk are these lizard, you know, kind of men or women or men, lizard folk, I guess, who had their own kind of, you know, empire. They got into conflict with the Pact Worlds. They, uh, the Pact Worlds allied together and kind of fought them to a standstill. Um, then there was this extended period of Cold War, but then this thing called the Swarm, which is like a massive kind of biological um, bug magic thing. If you think of the Tyranids from Warhammer 40k, it's, it's fairly close to that. Um, or like the aliens from, you know, the uh, Aliens series of films. Uh, that's kind of what the Swarm was, and by virtue of that third, you know, external uh, enemy, the Vescarium and the Pact Worlds entered into kind of a, a peace accord. So they went from their Cold War, their hundreds of years of Cold War, into kind of a, a tentative peace so they could fight off a swarm. And um, while they've made, you know, um, some peace with the Vescarium, the Aslanti, like, they won't even talk to the people from the Pact Worlds. Um, it's implied that the, the Aslanti sort of send out spies as well. So that, I mean, what a great, that's a, what a great adversary to play. And then the adventure path starts with your characters kind of, you know, you're on a mission where you're delivering some things and you find yourself in the middle of this occupation by the Aslanti and then the kind of whole story kind of goes from there. So I love the idea of the story. Uh, I love the Aslanti as an adversary. So I really wanted to run it. And, uh, as with a lot of games in 2019, there was two things I wanted to get out of it. One was I wanted to expand my circle of, of gaming friends. So I wanted to meet new people and play new games with uh, with those people because, um, you know, it's, it's good for you to meet new people. And I wanted to stretch my, you know, I didn't want to, I guess, also rely, partly I didn't want to stress, you know, stretch my, the tolerance of my friends beyond the breaking point by trying to get them to game every, you know, day of the week. And I also wanted to, um, uh, to, um, not be dependent on, um, you know, when my friends were available or what they wanted to play, like my the friends that I had normally played with. So when I decided to include Starfinder in the roster, I sent out a, a bunch of different ways. I, I posted on the Google Plus community, I posted on Paizo, and I posted some stuff on my YouTube channel saying, hey, this is what I want to do. If you're interested, you know, shoot me a line. And I got, um, I had one long-term friend who wanted to join the campaign. I had uh, another uh, a recent friend who I met at a um, an individual session uh, who said he would be interested in playing, and then I had 
uh, one friend who was, or one person who's become a friend who was a, a viewer on the channel, and then I had two people who were friends on, who I knew from the, not friends I met, but people who I met through the Paizo message boards. I posted there saying, hey, I'm looking for this. You know, I posted links to the YouTube channel saying, hey, this is kind of DM I am. This is what I'm interested in doing. And then, yeah, so we, we got together and we, made, you know, everyone made characters uh, before we launched into the game, and then we launched into the game. And, and like with a lot of adventure paths, I, I kind of, um, with this one, I decided to do a more extended entry into it rather than just starting and just, you know, telling the players, this is what your mission is, this is who you're working for and whatever. I wanted to do a little bit of backstory, so I started with a uh, uh, an intro adventure that, uh, that I wrote, and then um, that was my first taste of kind of just running shit on the fly and coming up with stuff for Starfinder. The reason I, I had specifically picked the adventure path was, well, actually there was two reasons. For one, I wanted something that was not going to be a lot of work. Uh, I, I, you know, something I could just read and, and, you know, just run from the book. Um, and secondly, I also wanted to, uh, to learn the rules, right? Like I, I, I wanted to try and run the game the way the, the designers intended it before I started trying to make up my own shit. But it turned out that the first session we ran was just a ton of fun. Like so, Starfinder had one way that Starfinder differs from Pathfinder first and from three point five and, th- and third is it gives you really easy rules for setting difficulty classes relative to level. You know, I mentioned uh, earlier in this uh, podcast that um, the or this episode that the, one of the things part, uh, Starfinder took from D and D fourth was an easy way of setting difficulty numbers that were relative to number two levels. And, you know, there's certain assumptions that are in there. Unlike, um, you know, Pathfinder, it's a lot harder in Starfinder to make bro- kind of, you know, quote-unquote broken characters with extraordinary, you know, extreme uh, bonuses for certain skills or certain stats, you know. it's it, You can more easily judge what... Um, what the, the bonuses will be or on average at certain levels. So for because of that, it's easier to set level-based difficulties and expect that, you know, uh, and there will be, um, you, there, you can anticipate how difficult those will be. And it's an extremely valuable tool for DMs who want to run fast and loose like I do, right? Or want to, you know, allow people to interpret stuff, to, to you know, break the rules as it were and do things that, that aren't expressly set out in their character sheet. So, um... So, and that's what we did in that first session. It was just this really fun kind of knit. We, I use a lot of um, kind of uh, framing uh, devices that I, that are that I picked up from things like Blades in the Dark and Band of Blades. Those Forge in the Dark games do a great job of gamifying different scenes and how to transition between the scenes and how to narrate your way through there while also engaging with game mechanics. So that was a really, really fun scene. And then we launched into the actual adventure itself. And the adventure was pretty good, and we ended up, um, I, I ended up improvising some stuff. I'm never, I, I, you know, um, I, I am grateful for pre-made adventures, and I, I, I really uh, respect the amount of work that's put into those things, but I'm really not the type of DM who's built for running those types of things, because I often want to pursue larks, right? Like, if something interesting is happening, I'm often more interested in pursuing that, or like, adding some element to the story that then I will just keep, you know, as part of the story going forward. And that doesn't always jive well with pre-made adventures where, you know, there there are certain things that are introduced in the adventure at certain points that will pay off down the road. And if you fuck up things, you either don't introduce things or you introduce them in a wrong way. It can screw up what the, you know, end result is. So 
I often find myself, or I feel a little hampered sometimes when I'm when I'm running pre-made adventures. But I mean, they are also a lot less. You know, they are a lot less. Well, that's actually not true. I, th- I thought it'd be a lot less work. Turns out, trying to keep all that crap clear in your head of what's going on and who people are, it's it's a lot more work than what I would if I just had a rough outline for a story in my head, or you know, I'd written a rough outline for the story and then just needed to navigate the players through that and, and make adjustments as the players make their decisions. So, uh, so anyway, so we introduced that, um, and for the most part, like the event, the adventure itself, the first adventure is, um, I can't remember if it's Ron Lundeen who wrote it, but I think, I think it's him and it's a great adventure. It's, uh, the first one is called, um, uh, blah, 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 blah. I actually can't remember what it's called now. <laughs> so it's, um, uh, oh, reach of the empire. I think the first one is called, and it's, uh, it's a really fun adventure. You know, it's, it's a. Clay, you know the the characters act as like gorillas, uh, trying to liberate this this um, settlement from the or colony from the occupying Aslanti forces, and it's pretty awesome. It's I I made some adjustments to it, and there's some good advice on the uh, Paizo message boards for you know potential problems and stuff like that. So it proved to be a really really fun session or fun uh, adventure, and then also what we added. Um, or I added, I should say, I keep saying we in the, in the kind of queen sense. Um, that's a force of, of habit from my uh, day job, but I ended up adding the, uh, a, a couple other elements in there too. So we did some, you know, some different, I made some challenges for them uh, for overland travel and I improvised a couple of, um, encounters as well. And, uh, that was extremely educational as well because I, um, I had to improvise something on the fly, which is often what I do in, um, you know, in a lot of my other games I run, especially the old school games where it's easy to throw open a a monster manual or whatever, and then just run a monster out of there for, you know, to deal with the random encounter that came up or whatever. Well, it turns out that the, um, because of the, you know, the easy way of setting difficulty classes by level and because of the, Simplicity of, of the monsters in um, pa- in uh, Starfinder. I could open a book uh, to you know to a, a a monster in or an alien or whatever in uh, the Alien Archive, the pa- Starfinder equivalent of the Monster Manual, and just run it out of the book without having to read it beforehand. Like it was very very easy to do, and it was a lot of fun. Um, and for me, like I, that's one of the things I love doing is is having to adjust shit on the fly. Uh, you know, I I'm quite happy, um, not only quite, I'm very happy, I'm, I'm thrilled when I get to just make up shit on the fly to, you know, to, to see what, um, you know, uh, to respond to whatever the players are, are doing, you know, um, and that made it really, really easy, there was one ad- uh, encounter in particular where the players went, uh, they encountered something on the way there and there was one, um, critter that kind of was, was set out as a, an inhabitant of the world that they were trying to free, but I'd already had two encounters with those things. So I didn't want to use them again. So I used something different. I just kind of let my, you know, mind free associate and then just, you know, came up with something on, on the moment and then just used the, um, monster generation stuff at the back of the book to just kind of you know, work out those stats on the fly as I needed them. And man, it worked out incredibly well. And it, it was, uh, it gave me a good enough game structure to, uh, to construct the, the encounter. So I wasn't just like, they weren't just rolling dice and me making up stuff on my end. There was specific stats I could work from, but, um, yeah, it was, boy, it was a lot of fun. 
And then um, we finished, so we finished that, that campaign. And we had an interesting moment as well where uh, in one of the kind of like the final boss fight, we had this thing that really, I mean, to be honest, was a total party wipe. You know, it was a total party kill where they just got worn down too early. Uh, they were down one one character because one player couldn't make it. And uh, they were down. They, they just had a bad series of encounters as they were trying to fight their way into this crashed starship. And just, you know, kept uh, using up uh, resources and using up resources. And then when they finally fought the the big enemy, they fought the her one-on-one. And she just wiped the floor with them. But the thing is, is that, I mean, there's two things. For one, there's an automatic stabilization feature in Starfinder. So it's kind of assumed that you're going to do that, like, your players are knocked out and they wake up in captivity rather than they're just outright killed. And that's, I think, that that plays up the sort of space opera, pulpy action kind of vibe that they go for in Starfinder. And, um, And because of that, it allowed me to have this one... You know this this main enemy, this main villain from the end of that um, uh, that adventure, this Lieutenant Sharu that they'd been hearing about over and over and over again. Well, Sharu is now going to be someone who they want to get. You know, they want their revenge on her. So it's going to be a great returning enemy. You know, in 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 an appropriate way. Like it just and it was a fun. In in retrospect, it was kind of a fun inversion of what you would have expected for the way the first adventure ends. Instead of our heroes, you know, being triumphant they lost you know and it's only by virtue of, of circumstance that Sharu because of how the occupation had kind of turned against them our heroes had already basically driven off all the rest of the Aslanti forces they needed to flee um, the, our heroes won the war but they lost that one battle and um, it was really interesting and then what I did is because I had been itching to try and do something different with the rules in the last couple of sessions we've been doing um this i've mentioned before in the podcast this war stories thing uh in uh what i like doing in my campaigns is you know running old running uh kind of one-shot adventures or short you know a series of sessions uh that are set either at another time or in another place a way to kind of like change things up and keep it fresh in the campaign but also to introduce some plot elements and things like that and we had been talking for quite a while about uh the things that that my players really liked about uh the starfinder setting and what i liked and one of the things that we all kind of agreed on was this there's a planet called akiton which is effectively just mars but akiton has a ton of really awesome stuff on it like it's got this like uh corporate corruption it's got this great um uh there's like you know uh the green martians from uh john carter of mars that there's effectively something like that called showbads that are out there there's um you know uh you know broken down miners there's gladiators there's psionic psionic secrets out in the sands there's these uh uh, an ancient civilization that was uh, forgotten and left behind like thousands and thousands of years before the gap happened. And I, and I just love that kind of fun Mad Max meets Old West meets John Carter of Mars meets Dark Sun kind of vibe that you can get with Akiton. So what I kept joking about or had been joking about for about six months was this idea for a series of Western adventures called, you know, Fistful of Showbads for a few show bads more and the good, the show bad and the ugly. And, um, 
I decided to, to because of the way the, I had set up that first flashback, that I could do the same type of thing as another mission for the person they want to go and rescue. Like the the setup for the adventure is that there's this person who you've done work for, who you're, that's the reason you were going to that, that world. You were going to go and deliver some goods and it just so happened you get to see your old boss slash friend again. And then you find out she's been taken by the Aslanti empire for, you know, story reasons. And the, um, the cool thing is, I mean, the thing I really enjoyed doing was actually, instead of just telling them, Hey, here's who this person was. And here's what you, how you know her, we're showing it. They went on missions for her. They got to interact with her, you know, and that's what this one is. They were sent to Akiton, um, you know, years before the, the current campaign. And that's what we're playing through is this fun thing. And, and, um, Starfinder has this, uh, aspect where gear is relative to the level. I mentioned that before. And, what we're just doing, I said when we first started running Starfinder that like, look, we, we this is an element of it that if you look at the game too closely, it can be really, you know, immersion breaking. It can feel very, very gamist where you're, you know, you're in a world where there is objectively, you know, level 17 laser rifles and there's level one laser rifles. But I said like, look, this is just an element of the, you know, it's an element of the gameplay that is necessary to support the, 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 supporting the fiction that we're going to be experiencing in the game. And um, I think that... Uh, and so far, what we've done is basically ignore that stuff, and it's been fine. It's been perfectly fine. So well, what I said for this particular adventure is, like, look, I know that you guys have, you know, gear that you've gained now that you've gained some levels. We're not going to advance you back to first level to play this. We're going to keep playing with the same level, and we're just going to assume that it's either, you know, whatever gear you've got right now, it's stuff you've lost or sold or had taken from you between now and the next session. And if you happen to have something in the current campaign that is, or the current day of the, of the campaign, then it's a replacement for an old, you know, piece that you had in this adventure, you know, so that way we don't, cause I mean, really who cares? Like, I mean, I, I'm not particularly fussed about having the mechanical representation. We're just telling a story anyway and having a fun adventure. So, um, we are, two or three sessions, I think we're three sessions into Fistful of Showbads now, and holy shit, am I having fun with this game, like, it's, um, Starfinder is a really fun game anyway, like, I've, I've mentioned in the podcast before how much I enjoy that, the setting, how much I enjoy the, the rules, how much I enjoy the supplements for it, it's a, just a really, really terrific and fun game, you know, um, but the thing that, uh, I'm, I'm noticing with this particular series of adventures is that when when I'm getting to indulge my game design um, and adventure design uh, elements, you know the things that I can that I love doing. Um, boy, like I'm I'm. It's really um, it's really coming home to to just how much I enjoy the game. You know, uh, it says a lot that with a pre made adventure, I've I've been enjoying the game, but um, you know, I mean, like I've, I'm feeling a little bit constrained by it. In this one, being able to just, you know, when the players do something, say, okay, now here's what we're going to do, and designing something to uh, to respond to that. And an example of that, what I mean is, so like, in the first session of Fistful of Showbads, our heroes took out the, you know, landed on Akiton, they got, they accepted the job from uh, their patron, they landed on Akiton, went to this place called Hive Market, kind of, you know, got the stuff they needed to, to blend in, they got... Um, you know, the uh, land transport that they needed, and they started, they headed off into the Akitonian deserts. And uh, we decided, I decided to sort of structure a skill challenge type thing to, to, to model the, the game 
behind them getting to this uh, location. And sure enough, they've <laughs> fucked up the rolls and they rolled poorly. And um, what they ended up doing is uh, we ended the first session with them kind of crashing into a canyon. And uh, as the session ended, they, they, you know, they noticed at the edge of the walls of these canyons, all these from these holes that were around there, like as if the whole thing had had all these holes drilled into the, the walls of the canyon, all these large dog sized bugs start, you know, poking their, their heads and, uh, their mandibles out and kind of like, I'm getting ready to attack the guys. So between, that's how we ended on a cliffhanger in that one. And between then and the next session, I came up with some, uh, uh, chase rules. So I, I wrote a chase mini game to kind of reflect the, uh, them racing through the canyon trying to escape these things. And it was so much fun, you know, and we didn't, we used sort of half-ass some of the rules for the chase mechanics and half of the combat rules too. And it just, it was, it worked out really, really well. And it was really exciting. And then the guys got to town and we had this fun, you know, uh, session of role-playing or the last of the session was them role-playing. And then this last session from this past weekend, it was again them uh, kind of, you know, getting their, trying to get the lay of the land and figure out, you know, what's happened is they've arrived in town and learned that the contact they were supposed to meet up with and and then go on. turns out things are a little more complicated. And uh, I, for the structure for this one too, um, they, you know, the, the, you may be familiar with a film called Yojimbo. It's a um, uh, early 60s, I believe, uh, film by Akira Kurosawa starring uh, Toshiro Mifune as this ronin, this landless and masterless samurai who shows up in, in uh, this town. He finds that there are two um, bosses, two gangsters basically that have uh, have been terrorizing this town as they fight a gang war against each other. So he shows up and basically decides, you know what, I'm going to kill them all. And um, if that plot sounds familiar, it's uh, also the plot of uh, Fistful of Dollars, which was a Western reinterpretation of uh, Yojimbo. It also sounds like Last Man Standing, which was a, a kind of a Prohibition-era recreation of it. It also is the plot of Lucky Number Slevin. Um, and uh, there's another film that I can't remember that is a Yojimbo interpretation or Yojimbo-inspired film. But uh, in fa- keeping with the proud tradition of recreating westerns that are based on Yojimbo, I decided to, to you know make Fistful of Showbads that as well only what they needed to do is instead of just kill the bad guys their contact is currently a hostage of one of them it's the daughter of one of the bosses and he's being she is being held hostage by the other boss or at least that's what the heroes have been led to believe that may not prove to be the case but anyway um so the heroes showed up they started kind of getting the lay of the land they found out that oh boy there's uh things are, are a little different they they were told that uh there's only one boss in town they showed up and found there's two and then as they were get they decided to throw their lot in with one they've been you know kind of getting a sense of how they can get this information how they can rescue this person and we ended uh we had a nice little uh fight with some other bandits who had been hired by this uh this bandit lord or this uh, gangster and then we ended once again on a nice cliffhanger. And, uh, you know, it was, there was, the combat encounter was not something I anticipated. And it really, really, really makes me love uh, Starfinder even more by virtue of how easy it is to improvise stuff on the fly. And I mean improvise rules, improvise skill challenges or skill checks, improvise combat encounters. Like, it was a cinch. Um, to be honest, like, for the adversaries that the guys were fighting... I didn't even bother to really write 
full monsters for them. Like I knew sort of what they were. We knew what they were described as. All I did is look at the base stats for what should be their hit points, what should be their AC, what should be their damage, and just went from there. And they just otherwise filled it in with narration. And that's, I, I mean, that really says a lot about a game that you can just do that. You know, and it obviously, like, there are more complicated rules. It's a tactically heavy game, relatively speaking. Uh, so you can do more complicated, you know, uh, monster mechanics if you want to. And lo- a lot of the aliens have that cool stuff. But I didn't need to for this one. I just needed a bunch of thugs who were going to, you know, try and beat up our uh, android technomancer. That was it. And then, you know, the guys needed to go in and save them. And, um, you know, for a game that uh, that on its face looks like it's pretty complicated. I've mentioned on the podcast before how I really feel that Starfinder is the complication is all on the player's end, it's not on the DM's end. And I man, I, I strongly feel that that's the case here. And what it's told me is that I can, you know, I could use Starfinder to run a lot of different kinds of stories because it's so easy to just uh, change stuff or adapt stuff on the fly if uh, to respond to player characters. And that you know, lightness on the feet is an important characteristic for games for certain types of things. You know, like um, Call of Cthulhu, there's a number of reasons why it's rules light, but one of the reasons why it works so well is because it's just as much rules as you need. You know, there's good uh, depth to the kind of uh, sanity mechanics, to the research mechanics or investigation mechanics, and uh, that's because that's predominantly what that game's about and if you need to make up other stuff on the fly you've got resistance tables you've got uh, a you know set of uh, uh, skills that you can refer to so you've got a you know you can respond to when players are doing unanticipated things and um i feel like in starfinder for a, a more complicated setting like a sci-fi setting where the players might you know take advantage of um vehicles or they might take advantage of starships or computers or whatever you know, or get into fights with things that you didn't anticipate. It's important to have a game that can that will respond appropriately with uh, a, a, a level of mechanics that allow you to still keep running a game without just making up shit on the on the fly and uh, giving the players their dice rolls, their uh, character decisions that they've made for how they build the characters. All that stuff has consequence. Then, so yeah, really, really good. Like I, I enjoyed a lot of the adventure path. Um, I'm now feeling like, oh boy, I. I want to take a good hard look at that second module and see how much I can change it or open it up so that I'm, you know, I'm enjoying the same level of kind of, you know, freewheeling uh, DMing that I'm enjoying with with the, the current uh, adventure with Fistful of Showbad. So, yeah, it's, um, any, I guess the the thing I'll, I'll end with too is just what uh, I've lost one player no, I lost two players. I had one one player I, we lost after the first session because he just he realized it wasn't going to fit with his, his schedule, and that's totally fine. Um, and then we had another player join in who was hoping to be able to play, and then he had to drop out because it didn't fit his schedule either. But the four players that we have as our core group now that have been playing for most of the nine months, um, if not all of them in some cases, it's just a it's a great group of uh, guys. They you know they really role play the characters well. We've got a good sense of who they are. We're getting a chance to explore who these you know who these characters are in some of the quieter scenes. Oh, and also because of by virtue of, of just how how fun the setting is too. Like there's so many neat little ideas that they introduce to the setting that are so you know they're so inspiring and so fun. You just look at it, and you're like, oh, I want to incorporate that in my adventure somehow. And an example of that. 
Like, well, there's two examples I can think of. One of them is the Skittermander, which is this cute little furry thing that's kind of become the um, unofficial official mascot for Starfinder. There are these little, like, if you think of, like, I'm trying to think what they would look like. They look kind of like, imagine if, like, those troll dolls were completely covered in fur. That's what, what it would look like. And uh, the Skittermanders have, have been the star of the two free RPG adventures that have been published for Starfinder so far. So they're just a ton of fun. Um, and they're a neat little thing. And I've, I've had a chance to run the first uh, free RPG day adventure. And, and likewise, that was a shit ton of fun as well. Um, but um, they're in, in this pa- in this most recent episode, uh, what had happened is the week before the newest uh, kind of monster book, the Alien Archive 3 had come out. And in that, they had a bunch of really cool looking... Uh, things, including this new uh, tortle, like tortoise kind of race. It's kind of like space tortles, if you're familiar with tortles from uh, um, from D&D, 5th. And uh, the, I can't remember, what they, I, to be honest, I can't remember what they're called either, but uh, I, I said, oh my god, like I have to introduce one of these things in there. And then I forgot to do that, I forgot to actually plan ahead. But what we did instead is, I, once we, I, I was, um, uh, I remembered it midway through the session, and I decided to introduce this, uh, the idea being this space tortoise, you know, man, um, in a old hollow vid. And it was a, the place they were staying had a limited access to uh, to kind of the infosphere, so they had really old hollow, you know, recordings. And all they had, for the most part, were these old magic shows by this space turtle guy called the Amazing Zipsop. And he does... His his famous shtick is that he does really really slow close up magic, so you know picture like anyone doing card tricks or whatever else, but at the pace of like you know um, Ugwe from um, uh, the Kung Fu Panda film, the original one, and that's kind of you know that I threw that in there and the players kept responding to it and then I heard from them afterwards in the Discord server saying like the amazing Zip Zop needs to be a run a recurring element in this campaign we need to hear more of him. And, um, you know, it's just, it, it's, it's, um, it really says a lot about the setting when you can just like, I mean, the, the, the setup for the character is just ridiculous, but it stands on the strength of the incredible idea of these, like you see these illustrations of these characters and in each of the alien archives, there's so many new species that you can play, you know, like it, that, that, to uh, tortoise thing that's a playable race and in alien archive 2 they introduce one that i love called uplifted bears so you can play space bears space bears with human intelligence you know uh who are your, your player characters and they're like those are just my you know some of my particular interests but the the fact that there's so many really cool uh, character ideas in starfinder both for player characters and for npcs it you know in the same way that seeing weird species in Star Wars is exciting, it's the same kind of like oh that's so cool, you know. In Alien Archive One, they introduce a race called the Contemplatives, and they're basically floating brains with tiny little bodies, and that's <laughs> so cool. And there's the Showbads. You could play a Showbad as well. You could play uh, you know, and and then in the in the core rulebook there's about eight or nine different species you can play that are not just, you know, elves, dwarves, and whatever. And, um, man, it's just, it's part of the, the the setting where it's just fun. In the same way, you know, the the wonder um, enjoyment or the enjoyment you get from just the the crazy 
visuals and ideas that you see in Star Wars, the thing that make that fun, and some of the more outlandish stuff from, say, um, Farscape. You know, Farscape has relies a lot on spectacle. That plays up. That's part of the reason why Starfinder is such a fun game, is because you can add these elements of spectacle where it's just fun. It's fun to 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 see that in there, you know. And um, yeah. So anyway, I mean. It, um, that's where I am with my Starfinder game right now. My Starfinder game is nine months in, 16 sessions, and I hope it goes on for 100. Like, I am just, I'm thoroughly enjoying the players I'm playing with. I thoroughly enjoy the system. I would absolutely run another Starfinder campaign. Uh, I think it it does require more, uh, a little more system mastery and system understanding on the player side than what, say, Pathfinder 2 or Path or um, you know, D&D 5th does. I think it's a little bit more complicated on the player side because there is some math to track in that. But for the, for the right kind of player, um, man, oh man, it is such a good game. And I don't think that that's, that's you know, necessarily a deal breaker. It just means, you know, for players who are less mechanically inclined, less inclined to have a lot of crunch in their games, you can still absolutely, you know, uh, run a game, a Starfinder game for those kinds of players uh, and uh, and have them not buried in the math and in the, um, you know, the the system behind, you know, for that game. So anyway, um, and we'll have to see if that, that proves true. I've, I've, um, I've suggested to some friends that I, I, I or I've promised to some friends that I'm going to run a, um, a military horror one shot for, uh, um, Starfinder for them. And I may have been delaying until the attack of the swarm adventure comes out, which is the newest adventure path. And the newest adventure path is, oh man, it's the swarm is back and it is starting to take off, you know, take out a, uh, planet. You start by being a plan, uh, a member of a military that is, you know, like a military organization that is on this planet that is going to fall to the swarm. And uh, that kicks off the story, and that is so cool. Giant killer space bugs with different kinds of crazy abilities. Pfft. Sign me up. That's exactly why I play role-playing games. So, anyway, so that is um, kind of the... Um, that's my, where, where things stand. That's kind of the campaign corner on Starfinder. I, I mean, I recognize that a lot of that is really just me gushing about Starfinder and the state of the campaign, but man, it's just, it is such a fun game and such a fun campaign that uh, I just have nothing but good things to say about it. Um, so maybe I, that'll end my uh, campaign corner for the Against the Aeon Throne slash, you know, Fistful of Showbads campaign, and I'll talk about... Uh, I guess let's, let's get to the outro. Okay, so that is my uh, campaign corner for my ongoing Starfinder campaign. Uh, as always, if you have any comments, questions, or concerns regarding this episode, please don't hesitate to uh, shoot me a voice message on Anchor. You can uh, shoot me a message or tweet on uh, Twitter. Uh, there you can find me at Dungeon Musings. Uh, you can also shoot me an email. My email address is dungeonmusings at gmail.com. Um, and you can now find us on the uh, Dungeon Musings Discord server, too. Um, the I can't really, you know, describe what the <laughs> link is to that. Other to say, then, if you go to the Dungeon Musings YouTube channel, every single one of the recent videos has a link in the description of the video to the Discord server. So if you want to join us on the, on the Dungeon Musings Discord server, I actually don't know if you can search for just Dungeon Musings on Discord because I don't really know the interface well enough. But um, if you can't do that, then that is the way you can join us on, uh, on Discord. 
Um, it's been really fun. We've had the server up for about uh, two weeks now, and it's been a lot of fun. And it's been actually pretty helpful for planning games as well, too. So um, otherwise, uh, thank you so much for listening. And until next time, happy gaming.